You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. This is the Seahawks Draft Show. I'm Brandon Schultz, joined by Rob Staten of SeahawksDraftBlog.com. Rob, the Seahawks, a week ago, they had just four picks going into the 2019 draft. Now they've taken a player in the first round and they have eight more picks. Uh, I know you got to be fired up. I love what the Seahawks have done in this uh, in this first round. I don't think that everybody's going to be enamored with it because people don't generally like the fact that they trade down a lot uh, and then pick players who are not the big names. Uh, but that is what the Seahawks do. We've seen it enough now. You know, nobody expected them to take Rashad Penny last year. Nobody expected them uh, to take uh, Malik McDowell or Paul Richardson or Bruce Irvin or Kristen Michael. You know, the Seahawks identify players that they really want. They trade into a range where they can get them and they feel good about their pick. And Seahawks fans should feel really good about LJ Collier and the fact that the Seahawks have got another eight picks to spend now. They came into this into this week with four draft picks. And yes, they've had to sacrifice Frank Clark in order to get you know one of those picks and, and, a, and a decent value pick at that. Uh, but the way that they're able to move around and still get one of the best pass rushers in this draft is a huge success. I, I think you could easily sort of sit here and talk about the things that Collier does best. And and I think that these are worth highlighting. So with Brian Burns, he's a speed rusher. Uh, There are going to be major concerns about his ability to hold up against the run. What weight is he going to play at? He played at about 228 pounds last year. Yeah, he was 250 at the combine. Is he going to go back to 228, 235 kind of range in the NFL? That's a concern. There are concerns about Montez Sweat. Why did he leave Michigan State the way that he did? What's the situation with the heart condition? There are concerns there. With LJ Collier, he wins with speed. He wins with speed to power. He can bull rush. He can stunt inside. He is explosive. He's got heavy hands. He's only six foot two, but he has incredible length. He has an 82 inch wingspan, which is as good as, you know, these six foot four cornerbacks and stuff like that. He's got everything. He's a bit of a self-made man. He's got grit and he goes against, you know, the number of times that you see people say the Seahawks focus too much on, on traits and athleticism. They just, just, just don't overthink it. Just take a guy. Well, that's exactly what they've done here because his short shuttle wasn't great. His 40-yard dash isn't great. He's an explosive tester, very explosive, very powerful, but didn't test brilliantly at the combine. But I reckon the Seahawks fans are going to love this. This is as close to me as a player as you're going to get from, from Michael Bennett in this draft class. He was a player that I listed in the second tier of prospects that I thought they might target. Rashawn Gary and Brian Burns are off the board. Clearly, the heart conditions an issue with Montez Sweat. They were the only three guys I had in my first tier. In the second tier, LJ Collier was there. I love this pick, and I think Seahawks fans should too. They had a chance to take Montez Sweat with that 21st overall pick. They trade back to the Packers. They get number 30 overall, and then they get two more picks in the fourth. Number 114 and number 118, those are the 12th and 16th picks of the fourth round. They get a haul there. They add to that day three. You know, they now have four picks in the fourth round to start off day three. They have two more picks in the fifth round, and then they trade out of that 
30th pick to move back to the fifth selection in the second round. Uh, they have another day two pick in the third round, moving back with the Chiefs in the Frank Clark trade. So they'll have the 29th pick in the third round. Uh, Montez Sweat coming off the board, like you said. I'm sure there's a lot of Seahawks fans out there that saw him at that point and thought, you know, here's one of the top guys that had been projected among, uh, you know, that that group of 10 to 15 picks falling down the board. But usually when a guy is falling down the board, there's a reason for it. And it's whether he has medical issues. And some people even suggested that he had interview issues. And any of those two things can be red flags that we don't have the information on. The teams have the information and can be the reason why they slide beyond uh, where they were projected to go ahead of the draft. Absolutely. Listen, if any anybody's out there knocking the LJ Collier pick and saying they should have taken Montez Sweat instead, just ignore those people because they wouldn't have taken Montez Sweat at 21 if they made a pick anyway. They Clearly, they decided, like a lot of other teams, that they weren't going to draft this guy. He was a top 10 pick and he fell into the 20s for a reason. Now, the Redskins are taking a gamble. They've traded up to go and get him. Fair play. We'll see if the Redskins are smart in making that move. Plenty of other teams clearly took him off the board, and I suspect that the Seahawks are one of those. And I, I, you know, I just really want to focus on the guy that they've got. You know, the the Senior Bowl, Senior Bowl week, the workouts, great week. You know, great chance to have a look at some of these guys. L.J. Collier was one of the absolute best at the Senior Bowl. He stood out. He dominated some of these big name offensive linemen that you're going to see drafted. You know, your Dalton Risners and people like that. Absolutely dominated them when he was at the senior ball. He was driving guys back with a bull rush deep into the in, into the backfield. He was winning with quickness and speed. He got a push-pull move. You know, the one thing that you always kind of look for with pass rushes is what are the hands like? Are they are they powerful? They've got heavy hands. These speed rushes, you know how you run down the list of of the top sack producers in the NFL over the last couple of years. How many of these guys are pure speed rushers? Hardly any of them. What do the the, the main guys do? Convert speed to power. What you do in the NFL these days, you know, as, as much as the game has become um, very spread out, very college-like in terms of offense, very quick, very fast, the pass rush hasn't really changed. You know, these big guys who can win with speed and power are the ones that win. That's what you're getting with LJ Collier. Listen, I'm fired up about this pick. He's a really good guy, gritty, determined. You know, do, do the Seahawks fans want tough, physical, reliable players, or don't they? You know, I, I was seeing people a couple of weeks ago projecting Ben Benogu to go to the Seahawks of their first pick. Right. Go, go and watch the TCU tape and see which guy's rushing the passer. It ain't Benogu, it's it's LJ Collier. You know, he was one, I, I wrote this just today. You know, as I, as I was putting him in my uh, second tier list, I wrote, LJ Collier is one of my favorite players in the draft. I wish he tested better, but here's the facts. He's a badass who wins with power, hand use, speed, stunts, and setting up blockers. Um, his pressure percentage. Here's the other thing that I want to point out here, Brandon, is that a few weeks ago, Pete Carroll said, we focus on pressure percentages. And we had to sort of see a draft to, to sort of relate to that and, and look at the numbers. LJ Collier's pressure percentage is 19.2%, which is very, very good. Who does that compare to? Brian Burns, 19.7%. Montez Sweat, 20.2%. So if anybody out there is disappointed that they didn't get Burns or Sweat, Collier's pressure percentage is, is practically the same. It's better than Cleland Ferrell's, who was a top five pick by the Raiders. Better than Quinn and Williams's, miles better than Jerry Tillery's. So I, I don't see what the issue is here. If, if anybody, I'm, I'm look, I'm inventing issues. I, I don't know what the response has been from from Seahawks fans, but I'm telling you, if you're not convinced by this, be happy about this pick. L.J. Collier, great prospect, 
well worth a late first round pick. Great choice by the Seahawks. Pro Football Focus tweeted out his advanced stats uh, tied for 19th overall in, in total pressures, 17th overall in pass rush win percentage, uh, tied for 30th in that pass rushing productivity stat. So uh, clearly up there when it comes to a pass rusher. And Collier was a guy that the Seahawks spent a ton of time with. They had scouts at the Senior Bowl. They met with him at the Combine. They went to the TCU Pro Day. They've invited Collier into the VMAC for a visit. So they spent a ton of time with Collier leading up to the draft And that gives them all that time to know that, yes, this is our guy. And you didn't see that same amount of time spent with with Montez Sweat. And when they had the chance to take him at 21 and drop back, you knew that he wasn't their guy. He he's also battled adversity. I think he he's uh, suffered a loss in the family not so long ago, which was pretty had a big impact on his life. Um, he's incredibly gritty and determined. This is a guy that has not really been given anything. You know, one of the big complaints with Rashawn Gary, for example, was that this was the former number one overall recruit and the college was a bit too easy for him and he didn't quite deliver up to the expectations because everything was a bit too easy. LJ Collier is the complete opposite. He had to go out there and make it happen. He's desperate for a career in the NFL and he's kind of got the, the attitude the, the old, you know, we call them now the old Seahawks used to have, you know, your Bennett's and your Averill's and and people like that on that defensive line, your Chris Clemenses. I, I think listening to his interviews, he's a good guy, but there's there's a there's an edge to him, which I really like about it. You know, um, I, I would encourage all people right now after they've listened to this, um, this podcast is to, to go on Brian Baldinger's uh, Twitter account. He did a video, I love Baldy's breakdowns. He did a video on Collier a couple of days ago and was just, waxing lyrical about this guy saying how great he is go and watch that video for a flavor of just how good this guy is i'm struggling to come up with a scenario that could have possibly been better brandon and there are bigger names who are who are on the board that people may look at and in another year if they needed an offensive lineman maybe cody ford would have been appealing Uh, other teams may well have seen the cornerbacks all being there as, as a as an opportunity for me for the seahawks to be able to be sat here with eight picks tomorrow they couldn't going to control the fourth round and you know any any great players that slip through the cracks into that fourth round they're going to be able to go and get them um you know they've got opportunities to trade up if they want to if they want to trade up in round three are they going to be willing to sacrifice a fourth round pick to go up and, and move up just as they did in round three to get tyler lockett that's a, a possibility now um and, and i would be maybe be a little bit surprised if they don't go and target somebody in round three they, you know and go and make a ball move there i think they've set themselves up to go and add a tight end add some defensive backs, add some more defensive linemen, go and get a receiver probably in that middle round range or in round four, one of those picks they've got. Uh, I I think this has been the perfect, perfect start for the Seahawks given where they are. And uh, I know that people kind of want the flashy, go and spend two first round picks on big names and feel good about it. I think this is, this has worked really well, but kind of turning attentions, Brandon now, Mm -hmm. I mean, from your perspective, what would you like the Seahawks to go and, and do now because they're going to be up at 37. So they're they're in a few picks time. They're going to be up. Then they're up again in round three. What kind of position would you be targeting? Because personally, what I would be looking at here is a speed rusher to compliment Collier. If Collier is Bennett, is there a Leo or an edge who could play across from him? And you've got bookends there. Is it defensive tackle? Are you looking at receivers? Because there's going to be a rush on receivers in the thirties now. 
Are you looking at tight ends? Because there's someone like Dawson Knox who's going to be available, who could be really valuable for them and, and fits them like a glove. Um, or are you even looking at you know, defensive backs, whether that's Juan Thornhill at safety, Chancey Gone Johnson, are you looking at the cornerbacks, Lonnie Johnson, Isaiah Johnson, Justin Lane, Sean Bunting? Well, you know, what are you, what would you be looking at here? Do you think what position would you be targeting? Well, and that's the thing, the the fact that they were able to trade back and still have so many options with that fifth pick now in the second round, they can go in so many different directions. And you mentioned Cody Ford's name. And that's a player who could still be there five picks from now. So they can they can continue to build the, the defensive line. You know, the wide receivers that we talked about are still all on the board. You know, the only one that came off the board in the first round was Marquise Brown of Oklahoma. And so still plenty of options, whether they go Debo Samuel, whether Paris Campbell, Terry McLaurin, uh, you know, DK Metcalf is still on the board. I, I'm curious. You know, uh, there was a guy on Twitter, Rob, that gave you an awfully hard time for suggesting that DK Metcalf would fall out of the first round a couple months back. And uh, it turns out you're right. You've got to go sort of weigh things up. And, and there's lots of things we don't know. So like Bob McGinn posted in his mock draft that Jawan Taylor had a knee issue. And it was scaring some teams off. And he put him he put him full enough with the Seahawks 29. But he's fallen out the first round. Now, nobody could have projected that two days ago. But the teams clearly knew that there was a knee injury there. Cody Ford must have something wrong. He's too good a player to fall out the first round. There's got to be issues there. We knew, we've kind of been hearing for a few weeks now that Greedy Williams was going to drop out, that there were, there were some concerns. Drew Locke has sunk. I mean, it's a month ago, people were putting him at 10 to Denver. Uh, he's, he's completely lost out the first round. And there are other players like that that have, have dropped out, and DK Metcalf is one of them. But you have to look at these things. DK Metcalf had a neck injury, a very serious neck injury. Right. A little bit of homework will tell you that DK Metcalf has, has quite a, a, a keen eye for business, shall we say. And in one interview was saying that his, it's his ambition to start up, and I, you know, I'm not making this up, a string of cheese restaurants. <laughs> now, if you're a team and you are sort of weighing up what might happen here and you are thinking, okay, we're going to take DK Metcalf in the first round, what if that neck's not right in a year or two? I mean, from the Seahawks' perspective, they've just seen Cam Chancellor and Cliff Averill retire through neck injuries. That's how serious they can be. What if he gets his signing bonus? decides in a couple of years that he doesn't want to risk his career and his, and his livelihood playing in the NFL and decides to go off and make those cheese restaurants that he's always talked about. Sure. That's something that teams have to think about. Yeah, he's got the 4-3-3 speed. It also just runs go routes and that's it. You know, it's kind of a one-trick pony. He'll come off the board fairly soon, I imagine. But you're going to have to think about these things. It's not just about running a great 40 and stuff. And, and this is the thing with the LJ Collier is, you know, people shouldn't just think not a big name, hasn't been in the, you know, mocked in the top 20 all year, hasn't run a great 40, wasn't being talked about at the combine. Kind of see the bigger pitch with it. And uh, they've got a guy who can play inside. They've got a guy that can play the edge. I think, I think he's Michael Bennett. That's, that's who I think they're going with. I've seen people saying that this is a replacement for Rasheem Green. Now they're different players. They're very, very different players. Yeah. And I think I said earlier, only uh, one receiver in the first round with, uh, with Marquise Brown, but the Patriots with that final pick of the first round taking Nikhil Harry. Yeah, and, and you know, I think a lot of people may be disappointed about that. The thing about in, in Kiel Harry that I would say is I always felt like his, his yards after the catch was better than his, his downfield stuff, that he, he didn't really separate that much. You know, I take them on board the point that some would argue big receivers don't often separate that much. 
Uh, Mike Evans did that when he was at uh, Texas A&M. So, you know, you, you do sort of see that. He's only a 4-5-3 runner. They've generally drafted 4-4 runners. They do like that suddenness. They do like the ability to get downfield. So I wasn't too disappointed about that. I think one of the exciting things for me now, Brandon, is it kind of opens up. I mean, that fourth round just looks so incredibly rich now. You know, is that a range where you can, you know, you, you can maybe target one of these running backs to replace Mike Davis? Is Rodney Anderson somebody that you're willing to take in fourth round, knowing that he would have been a first or second round pick without the injuries? There are other, you know, is Miles Sanders going to be there? Are the other running backs were going to be there. You know, Gary Jennings is a receiver that I really like a lot that I think is, is probably better value in round four than some of these guys that we're talking about in the 30s. Sure. How long is the, the tight end class going to drag out to? Uh, and, and if you get into day three, can you get somebody that you really like there? I think there's a, there's a possibility of that being the case. Offensive line, I think there will be options on the offensive line in day three that, that may well appeal. So those secondary prospects, whether it's a Bobby Evans, whether it's a Yodney Caduced um, to come in and compete at tackle, there are guys that you might look on the inside, whether it's a, a Michael Dieter or Ben Powers, people like that. Where's Tumor Adoga going to go? There are, there are intriguing players that you could pick up on on day three. It's, 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 I know that John Schneider said there's a drop off after round three with defensive linemen, but I'm looking at the board and I, you know, if Daniel Wise is there in 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 day three, Kiki Kingsley, you know, Albert Huggins from Clemson, big nose tackle, Armand Watts who can defend the run and, and offer a bit of pass rush there. Then I think that's appealing. And you, you've got a whole host of defensive backs who are going to be there. So. Good defensive draft. I like the fact they've got a load of picks and um, I'm already excited, you know, to, to kick off tomorrow and then look forward to Saturday to see what they're going to do if they keep all these picks. But just like I said earlier, just keep in mind because they've got so many fourth round picks now, maybe they try and move up in round three. It's possible. They, they definitely have enough uh, fourth round picks with having the, the 12th, the 16th, the 22nd and the 30th in that fourth round. So uh, and then you know, in the fifth round, they have the fourth overall and the 21st overall. So they are stacked with picks in the fourth and you, they could even move down. You know, if people are thinking that, you know, well, they don't have any sixth or seventh round picks. Well, all they have to do is move back a couple spots in the fourth round and you can easily pick up some late round picks as well. So they may not be done with trading back. And, you know, having six picks in that fourth and fifth round is a pretty good spot to be in, too, because just the the way that they tend to go for Well, we've seen them uh, have a lot of success with guys in the fourth and fifth round. So it wouldn't hurt my feelings if they stay put, take all those picks. But who knows? My hope going into this draft and I tweeted this just before the, the first pick was that I want to see the Seahawks go heavy on defense. Yeah, you know, I'm not really interested in seeing the Seahawks draft a receiver early just so Seahawks fans can then complain when the guy's not getting a million targets every week. <laughs> we had that with Jimmy. We had that with Jimmy Graham. You know, you've traded for Jimmy Graham. Why aren't you using Jimmy Graham? But the Seahawks plan for Jimmy Graham was to try and turn him into the, turn him into the complete tight end, which meant a lot of blocking, which he couldn't do. Now, whether you felt, you know, that clearly that wasn't a good plan in the end, but that's what they were trying to do with Jimmy Graham. And yet people were complaining, oh, you know, why aren't you throwing the ball in the red zone? Why aren't you throwing him the ball more? We've got Jimmy Graham. Why, why don't you use him? Why have you traded for him? But, you know, I, I didn't want to see them take a receiver, for example, at 29 and then have us all wringing our hands when he's not put up 1,200 yards. That's not how, look how good Doug Baldwin is. And he scrapes over 1,000 yards if he gets there every year. Tyler Lockett had the best year of his career. Didn't get to 1,000 yards last season. It's the way the Seahawks offense is. So I wanted to see them go young, hungry, intense, physical, fast on defense. For me, they've got the tough and the physical and the power bit there for their defensive line. They've got a guy who can create pressure, who can play the run. Uh, I want to see them get some speed now, You know, whether that's in, in the defensive backs, get some playmakers there with some speed, 
I want to see another guy who can rush the edge. You know, I'm looking at who's left. Chase it's Winovich, Winovich. yeah. It's, it's Chase, <laughs> we're both looking at the same name. <laughs> it's Chase a fit, you know, because the thing about Chase is that he's he's got everything. So he's got the speed. He's got your know, four five nine forty, excellent in his size. He's got a one point five ten yard split. That's elite. He's got elite agility, four eleven short shuttle, which is fantastic for his size. He's got everything. Hasn't got the explosive power, um, which LJ Collier's got. So you think, okay, playing end in a four three, even if it's a four three under. Is he going to be able to defend the run? Is he going to be able to stay stay tight? Is he going to be able to hold down an edge? Or are they just going to run directly at him time and time and time again, which is what they did with Bruce Irvin in 2012 when Chris Clemens got injured in the playoff game and then he had to start a defensive end against Atlanta. They ran straight at him. Um, is that going to happen with Chase Finowich? That's that's my concern. I kind of wonder whether in a fourth, in a 3-4 where you play him in space and you can use his athleticism and get him in space there and try and take away some of that, protect him a little bit, he may be more effective in sort of that Clay Matthews role. But... That said, he's got a lot of things that they look for. And, you know, I, I would be very intrigued to see him on one side and LJ Collier on the other. Jalen Ferguson's still there. They could look at him. I kind of wonder whether Jalen Ferguson and LJ Collier are the same type of defender. Therefore, are you going to go in that direction? Tristan Hill's a name to keep an eye on. Right. If they want to go with a defensive tackle because he's incredibly athletic. Uh, I'm just trying to see who else is, is left on the board here. Um, Anthony Nelson, can, one of those guys that we kind of talked about. Potentially so. Um you know, I think that you can kind of rule out some guys like Zach Allen. You know, again, I think perhaps a bit too similar to to Collier. You know, is Bonogu an option this early? You know, Tony Pauline's been saying second round for for Bonogu. You know, are there other speed rushes that they could target here? Wait, you just told me is you it, didn't want Bonogu, Rob. I, I don't. I don't look, he, he's raw as anything. He cannot rush the passer. He can't rush the pass. He can't rush the passer. He's he's a guy that you bring in and you're coaching him from scratch, and you may end up playing linebacker like Bruce because he's more of an athlete than a pass rusher. That's the, the kind of risk that you take. So I, I don't know. I, they've got options here. And, and I just wonder, I don't personally think they take a cornerback at 37, Brandon, because if to, to assert that as a possibility would be to ignore everything they've ever done um, under Carolyn Schneider. Yeah, I'm looking at the board here and I'm seeing, I'm seeing strength now at receiver in the 30s and I'm seeing strength at defensive backs, whether that is some of the safeties who are left or some of these quarterbacks. I really like Lonnie Johnson. It wasn't the Seahawks. If, if the Giants had kept that pick and took Lonnie Johnson there, I'd give him a big thumbs up. Are the Seahawks prepared to take him that early? Do they want to take a cornerback who essentially just dumps Shaquille Griffin or Trey Flowers out of the team? Do they want to spend that pick here, or are they just going to wait till round five and, and do what they usually do? That, that's, a, that's an interesting question mark, I think, moving forward. And I think there's a lot of options with 37 and... Um, some good ones as well. Definitely a lot of options, Rob. And after the break, I want to throw out two names to you and get your thoughts on a pair of defensive backs for Seattle. Before the break, we were talking about the potential of the Seahawks going with the defensive back with their first pick in the second round. If they do go defensive back, I would rather see them go either Chauncey Gardner-Johnson or Juan Thornhill with this next pick. Yeah, I think with I'll, I'll give you sort of a, an opinion on both of those guys. I think that um, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson is better suited to playing in the nickel and safety, in my personal opinion. I think that what he does best is if you try and run any misdirection or any screens or you know, you want to pass it out into the flat or you've got the running back on a stretch play. What Garner Johnson will do is he will go and combat against, for example, maybe it's a pulling guard or a tight end or a, a receiver or whatever. It's very rarely a guard because he would get smothered. But you, sort of the tight ends and the receivers, he'll go and bench press them, 
disengage and go and make a tackle for a loss. He had nine and a half tackles for a loss in 2018, right. which is as many as some defensive linemen would have had. And it really shows to how tough and physical he is against the run, does a good job there. The closer that you play him to the line of scrimmage, the better. When he was in space, he missed tackles. That's why they moved him to nickel in the first place. When he was playing free safety, he missed a lot of tackles in the open field, had a horrible game against, I think it was, was it Tennessee or LSU in 2017? I want to say... Tennessee, where he missed a load of tackles in the open field, and they felt that moving him up to the line of scrimmage, sort of taking away some of that space, was better for him, and it definitely showed up in the way that he tackled. Now, that doesn't say that he can't drop and make plays, because everyone's going to remember that play against Michigan, where he dropped, sort of hid in coverage, and then the quarterback doesn't see him, he peels around, makes the pick, and it was a game-changing interception, that, and he was the MVP in that game, he's got a pick six later as well. So, people see those things and think free safety, I think he's better at nickel, so mm-hmm. that's something you've got to consider, I think, if you're going to take John Sigourna Johnson. Juan Thornhill's, I think, is is more likely to be able to play free safety. I just was very underwhelmed with his tape. I just wanted to, you know, you know, when you know he's such a great athlete and you know he had six interceptions and you watch the six interceptions and there's a, a, a few fluky ones in there and uh, where the ball's kind of like bobbling around and he, he gets it. I mean, it's not quite, um, you know, like he's, he's showing range and making incredible plays. So I, I was a little bit underwhelmed by... Thornhill, but then he's an amazing athlete. And I think, you know, pumping for upside with 37 is is something worth doing. And the receivers are there still. If they did want to take Terry McLaurin or Paris Campbell and and get a weapon, I still think a, a little wild card here. I don't know if they'll go this this direction, but Dawson Knox at tight end. You know, they've got Vanette who's out of contract next year. Ed Dixon's into his 30s and has had injury issues and he had them last year as well. Will Disley's hurt. Unless they're looking at someone like Drew Sample instead in round three, Dawson Knox ran a sub 7-10 free cone, which is what they go for. In fact, some reports even said it was a sub 7 three cone. That's how athletic he is. Oh, wow. Good blocker. Very, very passionate. Didn't complain at all about the, the number of targets he got at Ole Miss, and he, he had very few. And I just wonder whether he is somebody that they could think, yeah, do you know what? That's our type of tight end. He's got playmaking ability. He's tough. He's physical. If they want to get another weapon for Russell Wilson... That could be an option, but I, I do think perhaps your McLaurins and your Campbells and some of these defensive backs might be more likely. But again, you know, maybe another pass rusher because they, they do need a lot of pass rush. They do need a lot of defensive line help. And, you know, old Chase, if he sat there, I think a few people will be hoping for that tomorrow. Another one of my favorite things, Rob, that we get to hear from uh, the, the Seahawks, they always post their calls with uh, with John Schneider giving a call to their draft picks. And we have the one here with John Schneider giving L.J. Collier a call. Hello? L.J. Who am I talking to? This is John Schneider. I'm general manager of the Seattle Seahawks. What's up? How you doing, man? I'm good. How are you? You and the Gilles Nacho here, okay, What's up, one more time? Come on, and we want you to come in and get after that quarterback, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. All right. Congratulations, man. Here's Coach Carroll, okay? Let's go. All right, man. Let's get it. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Hey, LJ, yeah. Hello. 
That is probably one of the best ones I've heard. Just because, you know, I, I think it always sounds great when it really means something. And uh, that really meant something to LJ Collier and his family. And I, that was great to hear. Even if Pete Carroll sounded utterly frustrated that he wasn't <laughs> able to say hello. It only took about 30 or 40 seconds uh, before the, the celebratory cheers died down and Pete Carroll could get a word in. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's definitely good to hear all the celebrating going on uh, in the Collier household. Yeah, that's great. You know, it just and that's the kind of guy he is. You know, I, I'm I'm stoked that he's coming to coming to the Seahawks, and um, you know, it's it's a shame that he's not going to be able to uh, to rush across from Frank Clark. Um, but um, you know, they're, they're moving on. They've got LJ Collier, and I think everybody should be really pleased that he is a Seahawks pick. And uh, I'm looking forward already to seeing him in Seattle next year. Um, and what was you know, I think towards the end was a pretty unpredictable first round. The options were very thin. And I think to get a player like this, yeah, you know, they couldn't wait on this guy. You know, people think that they could have taken him in the third round or, you know, traded down again and took him some point in the mid second. He was a top 50 pick. He yeah. was always a top 50 pick. People were talking about him as a first round pick in the back end. He was always going to go quite early. And um, it's it's not a surprise that the Seahawks considered him there. You know, I had him on my second, in my second tier of targets. There was only three names in the, in the top target. Um, I actually had him going in, I, I didn't post the second round for my mock draft, I just posted the first round, but I wrote a second rounder out and I put him at 38 to Jacksonville. Ah. So I had him kind of in that range, you know, in the, he's, he's gone 29 instead of 38. It's gone a bit earlier than, you know, I projected in the mock. But um, really happy that he's a Seahawk and uh, and looking forward to seeing him. Well, Jacksonville does get their edge rusher with Josh Allen falling to them uh, in the first round. And uh, Kyler Murray, the first overall pick, maybe not too much of a shocker, but we were waiting to see that. Nick Bosa goes to the 49ers with the second pick overall. And then uh, probably the first surprise of the draft night was the Raiders taking Clellan Farrell with the number four overall pick. Yeah, in my mock, I had them trading up from 24 to 18 to get Cleveland Farrell, but never expected they would take him in the top five. But before people, you know, fall about laughing about this, there's a few things to remember. Uh, going into the season, Cleveland Farrell was regarded as a, a clear top five prospect. Um, a year ago, he could have declared for the 2018 draft. And Tony Pauline was mentioning that he was a he was a top five pick in any draft essentially, and if he had declared that year, he would have been a top five pick. He, he went back to Clemson because he wanted to win a national championship, which he did, and he's ended up going in the top five anyway. And he lost a bit of momentum because he didn't run at the combine, and then he refused to run, citing a toe turf injury, which teams are skeptical about at his pro day. The reason the Raiders have taken him, he's an alpha male. He is a leader. He sets the tone. The Raiders trying to change their culture. You know, they want to change everything about that locker room. They want it to be intense and with attitude and a bit like the the Raiders of old. Um, you look at the three players that they've taken this in this first round. That's exactly what they've gone for. Cleland Ferrell will be a leader day one. Uh, Josh Jacobs is very, very tough, physical, explosive, will set the tone in the running game. Jonathan Abram is another alpha who will hit you in the face. He's incredibly physical. He's tough. He's fast. He's faster than expected at the combine. You know, the worst thing a team can have is not is not have a, or the, the worst thing a team can do is not have a plan. You know, if you have clarity on what you're trying to do and then you go out and execute, I find it very hard to criticize teams who do that, even if they take players that you personally don't rate. And this Raiders plan was clear. 
It was concise. And for that reason, I think they should be praised. Well, people just like to beat up on the Raiders uh, after after their last season. So I think I think that's playing into it, too. Uh, tough to think that Mike Mayock, you know, after all his years of analyzing the draft, uh, w- would make a big mistake there. I think it always makes sense that if you have your guy and that's the guy that you, you really feel like you have to come away from the draft with, you take him at the first opportunity you can. You know, Daniel Jones going to the Giants at number six overall. And a lot of people talking about how the Giants should wait until their 17th overall pick to take a quarterback. If that's your quarterback (laughs) and he's one of the, you know, if if he's the number two guy waiting till 17, that's a long time to be waiting to see if if you can get that (laughs) that pick. And, you know, by then, you know, Dwayne Haskins is also off the board. So I, I just don't see why people don't see the value in taking a guy early if that's your guy. Exactly. It's especially at quarterback. Yeah. If you've identified that Daniel Jones is a potential franchise quarterback, which you are doing if you're willing to take him at 17, why wouldn't you take him at six? Why would you run the risk of losing him? Especially with teams coming up that are potentially going to be in the quarterback market, whether that was Denver, Miami, Cincinnati, Cincinnati, Washington, you know, there were plenty of teams who could take him there. So, you know, if you say this, this is the guy that we want to lead our franchise for the next, however many years, of course, you you think about taking him at six instead. Sure. It's very easy to sort of just look at a pick and go, that's a reach or that's, I don't rate that guy. And it's much harder to sort of try and work out the logic of a pick because none of these teams are setting out to make bad picks. <laughs> There's usually a thought process that if you spoke to a GM about why have you just made this pick I, and you sat and you just sat them down on a chair in front of them right now and you had a beer and you talked about their, their pick, and they'd probably convince you that they'd for, for the reason why they'd made their pick because there's always a reason for these oh, things. Oh sure, yeah. And it's always worth considering those before people criticize. And you know, I, I guess it's just the, the nature of it. Really, people will grade these picks as they're going along, and it's it's either an A or a D or whatever. And um, you know, I, I think you've you've got to sort of think about teams, needs, cultures, philosophies, and you know, I I think personally the Raiders made some fair calls. I don't think Daniel Jones is a great quarterback prospect, but if the Giants do, they should take him early. Not a whole lot of great uh, quarterback prospects in this draft, uh, particularly, no. but it's it's always a position of need for teams, and you have to take them early if if that's where you see them. You know, you see your team going in the future. Who knows? Jones may just end up end up being a, a decent backup when it comes down to it, but uh, always worth taking a shot uh, if you need to take that shot. Yeah, I think that and situations are always important. You know, he does have a good uh, offensive mind as a head coach, which will benefit him. I'm sure that Eli Manning will provide a, a decent mentor, um, at least initially. And, and whenever that transition happens, it, it'll be useful for him. I think that physically there are there are some things to like. Just nothing really stands out with Daniel Jones. And um, it's it's one of the reasons why it's kind of a relief that all of this Russell Wilson drama is in the <laughs> rearview mirror now. Because uh, Russell is clearly a franchise quarterback who is exceptional and perfect for Seattle scheme. And he's locked up to the Seahawks and we don't have to worry about these things. Hey, speaking of which, with all our fourth round picks, who's in the fourth round that we could be taking for a backup quarterback? We, we need to pick a backup quarterback at some point, I feel like. Gardner Minshew, you know, maybe he's the guy to take in the fourth round now. Uh, yeah, well, possibly. I mean, I, I think that the it's it's a draft whereby I think once 
Will Greer has has probably left the board, and look, we'll we'll see where he goes. He's not been taken in the first round. You know, there was a a small chance that he would be, depending on how the quickly the quarterbacks came off the board, and whether certain teams like New York still needed a prospect. Uh, if he falls into day three, then I think you you have to seriously consider about bringing him in as a as a solid backup quarterback. I think that. You know, Jared Stidham's probably going to go a bit too early for the Seahawks. I wasn't that impressed with Clayton Thorson at Northwestern. Maybe a guy to keep an eye on is Tyree Jackson. He's very big. He's mobile despite being big. Very strong guard, major developmental prospect, but perhaps somebody that they could have a look at. And then if it's not him, you're kind of looking at guys that you're going to pick up in undrafted free agency who can come in and maybe compete for a backup job, which is... Yeah, your Jake Brownings, your Nick Fitzgeralds, and your Trace McSorley's. Uh, Easton Stick, one of those guys, too. On the or, e- or Easton Stick. I think we have some exciting picks to look forward to tomorrow, and this is probably a, a good place to end it for now, Rob. And maybe come back tomorrow and see what the Seahawks have after day two. Yeah, it's it's going to be a fun day, and uh, I am. I really hope that the Seahawks fans can get pumped up about their uh, first round pick. I'm going to have an article up about him um, very shortly and uh, go and check out the, the Boldinger video that I mentioned. Go and watch him on YouTube. You will be impressed with LJ Collier. So look for us back here on the podcast, either after day two or after day three, where we will recap all seven rounds of the draft for the Seahawks. In the meantime, check out SeahawksDraftBlog.com. Check out Field Goals. Lots of analysis and breaking down the Seahawks picks and trades. Check it out, fieldgoals.com. And until next time, go Hawks. Hawks.